come from Psalm chapter 73, verses 1 through 3. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Maybe may be seated. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. Appreciate the time that we've been able to spend in worship together. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to the 73rd Psalm. If you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to turn there with me to the 73rd Psalm, Psalm chapter 73. This morning, our goal is going to be to work our way through that entire chapter, thinking about a very important question, thinking about a very difficult question. Psalm chapter 73, and we'll begin in verse 1 there in just a second. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Have you ever thought about that question before? Have you ever struggled with that question before? Have you ever asked that question before? Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? In assemblies like this one, we have a song, a hymn that we oftentimes sing that centers on this question. It's entitled, Farther Along. Consider the first couple verses of this hymn with me for the next couple of minutes. I'm just going to read it to you. I don't think you want me to sing it. But verse 1 says, Tempted and tried, we're oft made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. While there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. Verse 2, when death has come and taken our loved ones, it leaves our homes so lonely and drear. Then do we wonder why others prosper, living so wicked year after year. What question is being asked in that, in that song, in that hymn? It's the question that we're going to be thinking about over the next few minutes from Psalm chapter 73. It's the question that Asaph entertains and asks and struggles with throughout Psalm chapter 73. The question why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? I think the first thing we need to acknowledge about that question is just how difficult it is. This is a question that's very challenging to think about. This is a question that is very challenging and difficult to encounter. It's a question that's difficult to provide an answer to. It was difficult for Asaph. When you look in Psalm chapter 73 in the first three verses, it was difficult for him, at least in part, because it created tension. It created tension between what he knew and what he felt. This question created tension between what he knew in his mind, what he knew intellectually, versus what he felt emotionally, what he felt in his heart. Look at Psalm chapter 73 and verse number 1. Asaph knows that God is good to Israel. He knows that God is good to His people. He knows that God is going to be good to those who are pure in heart. In his mind, on an intellectual level, he does not doubt the goodness of God. But then you look at verses 2 and 3, that's not really how he feels, is it? What he knows in his mind is not really what he feels in his heart. He says, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, I became envious of them. When he saw the prosperity of the wicked, he wanted what they had. 
He looked at the prosperity of the wicked on one side. He looked at the suffering of the righteous on the other side. And it didn't make sense. It didn't seem right. It didn't seem fair. It didn't seem just. He became envious of the wicked to the point that he wanted to become like them. When you look at verse number 2, this question that we're considering this morning almost destroyed Asaph's relationship with God. This question almost destroyed him spiritually. He says in verse number 2, as he considered this question, his feet had almost stumbled and his steps had nearly slipped. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? That's not just a good question, but it's a hard question. It's a difficult question to consider. It's a difficult question to entertain. It's a difficult question to provide an answer to because of the tension that it creates. It creates tension between what we know in our minds and what we feel in our hearts. We know that God is good to His people. Scripture teaches us that. We know that God is going to be good to us. We look back in our lives in the past. We see how God has been good to us. We look at our lives in the present. We see how God is currently being good to us. We anticipate God continuing to be good to us as we go into the future. We don't doubt God's goodness on an intellectual level. It's something that Scripture teaches. It's something that we know by experience. But notice that's not always the way that we feel. We look at how the wicked prosper in this life. We look at how the righteous suffer in this life. And we walk away saying, this just doesn't make sense. This doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem just. This doesn't add up. Maybe we can stand alongside of Asaph in saying at times, I've been envious of the wicked. I wanted to be like them because I wanted to have what they had. What's the point in even being righteous? If the wicked are going to prosper and the righteous are going to suffer, what's the point in putting in the effort? What's the point in trying to be a righteous person if you're just going to go through suffering in this life and then those who don't care any about righteousness continue to prosper? It's a question that has the potential to really hurt us spiritually. It's a question that has the potential to destroy our relationship with God. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? As we attempt to answer that question, as we consider that question over the next few minutes, I want us to acknowledge from Psalm 73 that it's all about perspective. How we answer this question, how we respond to this question, how we allow this question to impact us is all about the perspective that we have. It's kind of like the four blind men who went to the zoo one day. Now I know you're going to look up at that picture and say there are six blind men in that picture. Well, I'm the one telling the story. There's just four blind men in this story, okay? There's, there's four blind men who went to the zoo one day and because they couldn't see the animals, they hired somebody to take them from exhibit to exhibit to explain to them what the animals were like. Whenever they got to the exhibit of the elephant, the guide allowed them to go out and to touch the elephant. For him, not just to explain what the elephant is like, but they can go out and experience the elephant for themselves. So the first blind man went out there, stood behind the elephant, and grabbed him by the tail. He said, wow, I didn't know this. This elephant is kind of like a rope. Then the next blind man went out and put his arms around the elephant's leg. He said, what are you talking about? 
The elephant's not like a rope. The elephant's more like a tree trunk. Then the third blind man went out. He reached up and grabbed the elephant's ear. He said, both of you guys are wrong. The elephant's not like a tree trunk. The elephant's not like a rope. It's like a fan, like a big fan that you would have in the summertime. And then the fourth man went out. He disagreed with the three guys going before him. He grabbed the tusk of the elephant and said that the elephant was like a sword. So what is the elephant like? Which man was right? Is the elephant like a rope, a tree trunk, a fan, or a sword? Well, it depends on your perspective. It depends on what part of the uh, the elephant that you're touching. Each man went out, touched a different part of the elephant. It's the same elephant, but they walked away with different answers as to what it was like. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? As we consider that question, I want to suggest to you that it's all about our perspective. We can all look at this same question and walk away with different answers because we're looking at it and we're considering it and we're answering it with different perspectives from different points of view. When you look at Psalm 73, there are two perspectives from which we as human beings can view this question. One perspective is going to be destructive. It's going to create more questions and not give any answers. It's really going to hurt us and bring trouble and misery into our lives. But the other perspective not only gives us answers, but helps us to trust in God. It not only gives us answers, but it helps us to remain faithful to Him. So let's consider the first perspective from which we can answer this question, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? First, let's consider that question from a human perspective. A physical and earthly perspective. That's what Asaph does. When you look at Psalm chapter 73, verses 4 through 15, there are two sides to this question. So let's consider them both. First, he thinks about the prosperity of the wicked in chapter 73, verses 4 through 12. What does he have to say about the prosperity of the wicked when he looks at this from a purely human, a purely earthly perspective? Well, first, he says in verses 4 and 5 that the lives of the wicked are trouble-free. They go throughout their lives, and this is the way it seems sometimes, right? The wicked go throughout their lives, and they never experience any pain. They never experience any trouble. Even in their death, they never experience anything difficult. But it's not just that the lives of the wicked are trouble-free. As Asaph looks at this question, he says in verse number 6 that the wicked flaunt their sinful ways. Verse 6 says that violence covers them like a garment. And what's the centerpiece of the outfit? The necklace is their pride. They take great pride in their violence. They take great arrogance in the sins that they commit and the evil that they live in. Verse number 7, the wicked, he says, get everything that they want. Have you ever heard somebody say, I've eaten so much that my eyes are about to pop out of my head? Maybe you felt like that a couple weeks ago over Thanksgiving. That's the kind of imagery and symbolism that Asaph uses in verse number 7. He says the wicked consume everything they take everything in to the point that their eyes are popping out of their head but then look at their hearts in verse number seven their hearts are defined by what folly foolishness they get everything that they want yet they continue to live in sin verses eight through ten asaph says it it seems like the wicked speak with arrogance and they gain a great following 
He says in verses 8-10, through 10, look at the boastfulness of the wicked. Look at all of this garbage that is just spewing out of their mouths. People listen to them. People accept what they're saying. People follow what they're saying. In verse 11, he says, in their pride, the wicked mock God. They look up at God as if to say, what do you know? You don't know as much as I do. Is there any knowledge with the Most High? Then verse 12, as, as a conclusion to this, he says the wicked are always prospering. They're never uncomfortable. He says in verse 12 that they are always at ease and they're always increasing in riches. So first, from this human earthly perspective, Asaph considers the prosperity of the wicked. Then he moves on to look at the suffering of the righteous in verses 13 through 15. But it's not just the suffering of the righteous in general. It's the suffering that's present in his life as a righteous person. The difficulty, the pain that he's going through. He looks at the prosperity of the wicked. Then he looks at the suffering in his life. And what does he walk away saying in verse 13? What's the point? What's the point in being a righteous person? He says in, this is verse number 13, he says, all in vain for absolutely nothing I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I put all of this effort into being a righteous person, keeping my hands clean. I put all of this effort in verse 13 to, to washing my hands in innocence, but it's all in vain. It's all for nothing because in verse 14, the suffering that he goes through. You jump back to uh, verse number 5 for just a second. The Psalmist Asaph says that the wicked are not stricken like the rest of mankind. But then skip down to verse 14. He says, all the day long, I've been stricken. In verse number 10, he says, nobody rebukes the wicked. He says that nobody finds fault with them. But then in verse 14, he says, I am rebuked every single morning. He's looking at this from a human perspective, an earthly perspective, from a perspective from which we all have the capability to look because we're all human beings. He looks at the prosperity of those who are wicked. He looks at the suffering of those who are righteous. The suffering that's present in his life. And he says, this doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem just. It leads him down a line of thinking where he's envious of the wicked and he's asking the question, what's the point in even being a righteous person? What's the point in putting in the effort to live a life that's like God and in accordance with His will and His word? He says it's all for nothing when you look at this from a human perspective. But then consider... The command of the Apostle Paul in the third chapter of Colossians, verse number two, he says, set your minds, that's a command, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. As we live our lives, what kind of perspective are we supposed to have? What kind of point of view are we supposed to have as we think about really difficult questions even as we live our lives on a daily basis how are we supposed to view the world around us Paul says don't set your mind on things that are on earth things that are physical he says set your mind on things that are above things that are heavenly and spiritual as Christians, we have the responsibility to view this world and to view our lives, to view other people, to view questions like this one 
not from a human perspective, but from God's perspective. In other words, we need a change. We need a shift in our perspective. When we think about this question and we look at it from a human perspective and it doesn't make sense, it doesn't add up, we start to wonder what's the point in even being a righteous person. We need a shift in how we view the world. And that's what happens with Asaph. When you look at Psalm chapter 73, verse number 16, he again reiterates how difficult of a question this is. He said, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. He says, I've been sitting around and I've been thinking about this question and it's brought nothing but trouble and misery and sorrow into my life. But then underline this word. Until. See, that's a shift. That's a change in thinking. That's a change in perspective. I was thinking about this question and it was a very wearisome task until... I went into the sanctuary of God until I spent time in worship to God. This was difficult for me. It brought sorrow into my life until I had a change in perspective. And I no longer viewed this question from a human's perspective, but I began to view it from God's perspective. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? What kind of answer do we get to that question when we have a change in perspective? When we began to view the world and we began to view this question from God's point of view. Let me suggest three ideas to you from verses 16 through 28. Number one, when we look at this question from God's perspective, we see the future of the wicked. We are ensured that one day justice is going to take place. Again, going back to Verse number 17, he says, this was difficult for me. It was a wearisome task, but then I went into the sanctuary of God. And when he spent time in the sanctuary of God, what did he see? What did he find? So this was difficult, but when I went into the sanctuary of God, I discerned their end. I saw what's ultimately going to happen to wicked sinful, evil people. Throughout this psalm, he's been concerned with wicked people in the present. They're always prospering. They're always at ease. Nothing bad ever happens to them. Their lives are trouble-free. They get everything that they want. They boast in arrogance. They mock God and, and nothing happens to them. When he looks in the present moment, he sees the prosperity of the wicked. But when he went into the sanctuary of God, he saw how the wicked are going to end up. Go back to verse number 2 for just a second. In Psalm 73, in verse number 2, Asaph said, I felt like my feet were slipping. Well, you look in verse number 18, we find that that wasn't really the reality. It wasn't Asaph's feet that were slipping. It was the wicked who were slipping. He says in 18, Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. As quick as a person wakes up from a dream, Asaph says the wicked are going to fall into the judgment and the wrath and the terrors of God. Yeah, the wicked might prosper in this life. They might get everything that they want in this life. All of their needs, all of their wants might be fulfilled to the, to the a millionth degree. But it's not always going to be that way. They might prosper here. But they're not always going to prosper. When we look at this question from God's perspective, we see the future of the wicked. We see that one day 
justice will take place. All wrongs will be made right. The brokenness in this world is going to be fixed. The brokenness in this world is going to be mended as God demonstrates His great justice. The words of Matthew 25 and verse 46 are going to be fulfilled. That those who are wicked on the left hand will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. While God doesn't want anyone to be lost, and we shouldn't want anyone to be lost eternally, perhaps we can find comfort. Perhaps we can find encouragement in the fact that justice will one day take place. The wicked might prosper on this earth. The wicked might prosper in this life. But that's not always going to be the case. When we answer this question from God's perspective, we see the future of the wicked. And we are we are able to clearly identify the justice of God. Number two, when we look at this question from God's perspective, we see our own foolishness. We see the fact that a human perspective, an earthly perspective, is wrong. And there's really no other way to put it. Think about how this question was impacting Asaph throughout this psalm. He says, it was wearisome to me. It brought trouble and misery and sorrow into my life. It caused my feet to stumble. It caused my feet... To slip. This question almost destroyed Asaph spiritually. He was thinking to himself, what's the point in even being righteous? What's the point in putting in the effort into being the person God wants me to be if the wicked are going to prosper and the righteous are going to suffer? What happens when he begins to look at this from God's perspective? He sees how foolish a human's perspective actually is. He says in verse number 21 of Psalm 73, When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. It was like an animal trying to talk to God. He says, I was absolutely wrong in wondering, is being a righteous person even worth it? That's what you get from a human's perspective. But when you look from God's perspective, you find that that doesn't make sense. You find that that's a position of ignorance. You find that that is a position of foolishness. Whenever we look at this question from God's perspective, we see our own foolishness every single time. We see the fact that if God is always right and we stand opposed to Him, we are always going to be in the wrong. When we look at this question from God's perspective, we see how much greater He is than we are. We see how much more powerful He is than we are. How much more knowledgeable He is than we are. And it's, it's something we can't even put into words. It's a gap that we can't even describe. When we look at this question from God's perspective, we see the future of the wicked. We see our own foolishness. And number three, ultimately, when we look at this question from a spiritual point of view, we see our relationships with God and we decide to trust in Him. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? That's a good question. It's an important question to ask. We need to spend time thinking about it. It's a really difficult question. But can I tell you something? The answer to that question really doesn't matter one bit. The answer to that question really does not make a difference in our lives. It should not matter to us whether the wicked prosper or not. It shouldn't matter to us whether the righteous suffer or not. Because when we look at this question from God's point of view, we see our relationships with Him. We see the fact that we're going to trust in Him. Even if the, the wicked prosper, I'm going to trust in God. Even if the righteous suffer and I go through suffering as a righteous person, I'm going to place my faith in God. The answer to this question from one aspect really doesn't make a difference. 
Because we're going to trust in God regardless of what happens. We should stand alongside of Asaph, beginning in verse number 23. We should make these claims with him that God, I'm going to be with you just like you're with me. I'm going to take you by the hand just like you take me by the hand. God, I'm going to be guided by your counsel. You're going to guide me as I go throughout this life. We talked about the end of the wicked just a few minutes ago. What is the end for the righteous? Look at verse 24. I'm going to allow you to guide me with your counsel. And then after that, you're going to receive me into your glory. And I'm going to get to spend an eternity with you. Verse 25, God, I don't want anything else but you. I desire nothing but you. There's nothing in heaven, there's nothing on earth that I want more than you. My flesh might fail on the outside. My heart might fail on the inside. But God, you're going to be the strength of my heart. You're going to be my portion. You're going to be all that I need. I'm going to be content with just you. And then as he closes in verse number 28, God, I'm going to be near you. It really doesn't matter what the answer to this question is. It's a hard question, but regardless of the answer, I'm going to be close to you. I'm going to be near you. You're going to be my refuge, my safe place, my place of protection. And I'm going to tell everybody about you. I'm going to tell everybody about your works, what you've done in the past, what you've done in Scripture. Most importantly, I'm going to tell people about what you've done in my life. The difference that you have made in me. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? It's a difficult question. At least in part because it creates tension within us. It creates tension between what we know to be true about God and what we feel based on our observation of the world around us. When we look at the question from a human perspective, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to provide answers. In fact, it's only going to create more questions. The tension is only going to continue to grow. But when we look at this question from God's perspective, that's when the difference is made. That's whenever we see the future of the wicked. That's whenever we're able to see our own foolishness. And that's when we're able to see our relationships with our all-powerful, all-loving God. Looking at this from God's point of view, we're able to know justice will take place. At times, I can be really wrong. And I'm going to trust in God regardless of what happens. Why do the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer? Like we've said, that's a good question. But can I, can I tell you an even better question? An even better question than that one. A question that comes from a spiritual perspective is one that's centered on eternity. We could talk the rest of the day about why the wicked prosper and the righteous suffer in this life, but what about the next life? If that next life were to come today, would you suffer for an eternity alongside of the wicked? Or would you prosper for an eternity alongside of the righteous? That's the question that really matters. Not just thinking about what happens in our 70, 80, 90 years here, but thinking about what's going to happen in eternity. Based on where you are right now, would you suffer or would you prosper? If you find yourself on the wrong end of that, we'd love to help you. That's what this time is designed for as together we stand and sing our song of invitation. He will bear you gently, 
gently to his foe. See him soul and open, open I implore. Why keep Jesus waiting?